So we've been looking at the book of Colossians, or we started last week, and, and really the, the summary of this book is Paul is writing to a church that was doing well, but just needs some encouragement. They need some refocusing. And so he says in Colossians, I'm still not working, Colossians chapter 3, this is what I, I said his, um, I might need new batteries. Okay, I'm going to pray while she's restarting it because this is going to be a good Sunday. Amen? There's a message for us in this word. I know it. God, we come to you today. We thank you that we're in your house. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your anointing. And we ask that your will would be accomplished. God, I pray that as a pastor, your will is accomplished in me. As people in this body, your will is accomplished in us. That we hear, we receive and respond to what you're speaking to us. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing in Jesus' name. Amen. I think I need new batteries. Can someone find me new batteries? Irene, you're just going to have to keep up with me while she's looking for new batteries. We can do this. We're going old school. So Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse, verse 1 of this chapter, it says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so we looked at this, and we said, basically, what Paul is speaking to this church is what Paul is speaking to our church. It's something that we still need to learn from. Hey, church, things have been going well, but you need to set your hearts and your minds on things above. The series title that I have is, Is There Are Greater Things for Us Than the Things of This World? And so many times we're consumed with the things of this world. Our hearts and minds are set on, on finite things when we've got an infinite God who, who has greater things for us. And so what Paul's speaking to the church in Colossae is what I'm speaking to the church in Crawford over these next few weeks as we look at this book. Hopefully we can start to set our, our hearts, that's our desires, our wants, our minds, that's our understanding, our thoughts on the things of God. Today I'm going to begin in Colossians chapter 1. This is where we were. Remember, this was the description of the church. We always, that's Paul and whoever he's talking with, thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. They were a church that loved God, loved people, and made an impact in their world. That's who they were. Uh, that should resonate with us, hopefully, in this room. We're here to love God, love people, and make an impact in our world. Paul said, that's what I've heard that you are. So he says, because of what I've heard, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Verse 5 is really where uh, I, I want to spend time looking at today. He said, I've heard about your faith and love, right? That's the product of who you are. Hopefully, as believers in Christ, there's faith and love that people recognize in our lives. He says to the church in, in Colossae, that's what I've recognized. That's what I've heard, faith and love. But now I'm going to scare you for a second because I'm going to give you a picture into Pastor Steve's brain. That was my son, of all people. 
I think he was disappointed that he didn't get to write the verse down. It wasn't about what Dad said. Because that could be really scary when it's my son saying that. So this is how I looked at verse 5 in, in, in Scripture. Um, I have it color-coded because we all have colors in our brains. The faith and love, that's this outward evidence. That's what I'm talking about. Paul is recognizing that he's heard about their faith and love. So faith and love, that's the outward evidence. They spring from, that spring, so there's a source. There's something in which that faith and love is coming from, correct? Is that fair? There's a source from the hope. Today's sermon is going to be out about our greater hope, so I can't unpack, unpack that just yet, which is stored up. There is provision for you. It's personalized in heaven. Those are the things that are above. When I looked at this verse, there was something in me that jumped as I read this. Because often we think about, remember the, the verse in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13? The, there's three that exist, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, is love. And we always talk about faith and love, but we don't talk about hope anywhere near the amount that we're talking about faith and love. And what I see from this verse is that faith and love, the outward evidence that's supposed to come from you and I, there's a source for that, that, that it's going to come from hope, whatever this hope is, that is absolutely stored up. It is there. It's not something that we have to produce. It's not something that we have to make. It is stored up for you. That's for me too. It's for us. It's something that is stored up for us in heaven. So let's look at it backwards. In heaven... There's something for you, right? In heaven, there's something for you which is stored up. There's, there's something there for you to discover. That something is hope that from that hope will spring forth faith and love. Sounds like it's something pretty important for us to understand. When I look at this, it sounds like there's probably something in this word hope for me to discover, for me to understand, for me to comprehend. And so that's my goal today is that we can recognize that we have greater hope. So what is hope? I mean, the problem with our understanding of hope, you know, in this world, we hope. In January, I was hoping the Bengals would win the Super Bowl. Right? I mean, it's kind of like there's an outcome I would like to see, so I'm just hoping. You know, when, when I talked to my kids and I said, I'll try to be short-winded today, they probably said, I hope so, Dad. There's not much confidence in that hope. There's not much assurance in that hope. There's more of this want to or maybe in that kind of hope. That is absolutely not what biblical hope is. Hope in this world is defined by wanting something to happen or be true. We usually have a good reason to think that it might. That was from the Oxford Dictionary. I had a good reason to think that the Bengals would win. It was destiny in the Super Bowl this year. And I hoped it might happen. And as a fan, well, I'm a fanatic, so I've convinced myself that that reality probably is going to be true. But there's no 
confidence. There's no assurance. That's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is defined by a confident expectation and assurance with a sure basis. It consists of the assurance of the heart, even a firm confidence about future things, because those things are based on God's promises and revelations. Do you see the difference between probably our typical understanding of hope and what biblical hope is? Biblical hope is based on an absolute. And because of this absolute, I have hope and assurance that what I'm putting my confidence in will come. It's not maybe, it's not might, it's not if the stars align, this will happen. It's an absolute confidence that we have on something that is to come. Hope is looking forward to what is to come. It's an expectation, so it's not here, it's what's to come. Faith is a confidence in what is today. Hope is an assurance of what is to come. Do you see the difference? Faith and hope, it's hard to kind of distinguish between the two. A lot of times we use the same word for both things. My faith is a confidence for today. My hope is an assurance for tomorrow. It's something that God has promised that has not yet been revealed yet. We often say that's faith, but faith is the confidence in what is for ours today. Hope is what is ours in the future. It's the confidence of what is to come. And so Paul, as he's writing to this church in Colossae, he says, I've heard about these outward evidences, the product of your life. I've heard about your faith and I've heard about your love. And that kind of faith and that kind of love must spring forth, must come from hope. And you want to talk about someone who lived hope. Paul, if you read his epistles, 11 of the 13 epistles that he's, he's, he's authored or written literally have the word hope in them. Hope is his Everything. Paul, he's consistent. The season in which he's writing this letter. Do you remember where I said he was when he wrote this letter? Come on, someone say you paid attention last week. He's in prison where? In Rome. There we go. Boom. William gets a gold star today. He's in prison in Rome, and he's writing about a hope that springs forth faith and love. Now, this is cool stuff. Now, what happened before he got to prison in Rome? We're going to talk about Paul's life just a little bit in men's Bible study. We've been reading in the book of Acts and, and in actually in Sunday school. We've been reading before we got sidetracked because of Nina um, about some other things. But we've been reading about Paul's missionary journeys. And so Paul's life in the book of Acts, we see a lot of stuff that's going on. But, but particularly towards the end, he'd been in the town of Ephesus for a while. Okay? He'd been there ministering probably for a couple years. And he says to those people, hey guys... I'm going to say goodbye. And they're like, oh, bye, see you later, Paul. You know, like, we'll catch you on Instagram or something. But he said, no, this is like goodbye. Like, I'm not coming back. And all of a sudden, like, the snot and tears flow, you know, like, when a pastor resigns, that's really what they're going through with Paul right now. Like, he's not coming back. And how did Paul know that? Oh, I, I, man, I skipped ahead a bunch. I'll have to come back to that. 
Watch out, I'm coming back to all this. All right. There is where we're at now. Paul is, is, oh, so he leaves Ephesus, sorry. He leaves Ephesus and he goes to Jerusalem because he told the people there in Ephesus he was going to go to Jerusalem and be arrested. While he's in Ephesus, he's arrested and he's put on trial. He stands trial before the Sanhedrin and all chaos breaks out. Like things get crazy. Well, he's on trial before the Sanhedrin. They're like throwing stuff at each other. They're screaming. They're like dragging Paul out so they don't kill him. Literally what's happening. In the midst of that moment, God speaks to him a promise. God speaks to him hope. He says, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. And you would say, Pastor, what in the world? You're talking about hope. How is this hope? So what's the future event that God is promising Paul he will do? He's going to testify about him in Rome. Now I'm going to go backwards a little bit. You've got to put that in your back pocket, and I'll come back to Paul in just a second. I want to talk about, about hope this morning, and it's going to be hope that is, it's, a, it's, here we go. Now we'll find it. Hope that is alive. Pastor, we'll get there. Sometimes we don't think of hope that is alive. In, in 1 Peter chapter 1, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen to this. We have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now, where was our hope? I want you to think about the verse that I read. Remember that we have a hope that springs, faith and love that spring from hope, which is what? Stored up for you where? Now, listen to what Paul is saying here, or Peter is saying now. You have been given birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. There's promise, there's hope for you that has been stored up in heaven. He's singing the exact same thing. And the cool thing is that hope isn't dead, but that hope is alive. It's a confident expectation we can have that there is absolutely an inheritance that has been stored up for me. It will not spoil perish or fade. It's not going anywhere. It's alive in heaven. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and trials of all kinds. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Just going through a lot of this. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are the receiving, receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Sorry. Hope. Biblical hope, it's alive. Biblical hope is alive and it's stored up in heaven for you. Biblical hope is not only 
alive. But if my notes can get in order too, what else could I do wrong? It comes through Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, that's hope, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Now, in the book of, uh, of Colossae, what was happening with the people? They had a hope that that was rooted in God, but they started to get distracted by the things of this world. And people started to convince them that there might be more hope or there might be hope in other places. Or maybe there was just enough hope in their selves that they didn't have to continue to pursue on. And what, what, what he was saying, and this is what the book of Colossians truly does, is it points everything that it must come through Jesus Christ. So I want to say this. If you have hope, you can't find it apart from Jesus Christ. And you say, Pastor, that's an easy one. But I'm telling you, too often we put our hope in things that aren't found in Jesus Christ. Huh? Too often we find hope in other places, in other people, in other promises that that weren't there in Jesus Christ. We put our hope, our confident assurance in things that are not Jesus Christ. It must come through Christ. It must be found in him. My inheritance that will not fade, spoil, or perish is only found in Jesus Christ. That's the only place that I can find this hope that is alive. Too often we're finding hope in things that are around us, in the things of this world, in the things that, 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 that may fail. Guess what? Your pastor may fail. The church, we may screw up. The evangelist, he may just have had some bad tacos last night. The book, not that book, but the book, not, not the Bible. I'm talking about the book that you bought because it had a good promise that you wanted to put your hope in. See, too often I think our hope has been put in things of this world, and we're not putting our hope in the things of God which are found in Christ Jesus. And then when our hope isn't fulfilled, we lose our faith. There is something that should happen. Our faith should spring forth from our hope that is found in Christ Jesus. But too many times the hope we put in things of this world, we haven't set, we haven't positioned our desires and our thoughts on the things above, but on the things below. And then the hope, it it, it is left with the maybe or might be, and a lot of times we're left disappointed and despondent, and our faith decreases. That's not what hope is supposed to do. Hope is supposed to be a confident assurance in which faith and love spring forth. Because I know I've got an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Guess what? I have a confidence in Jesus Christ today that he will do what he said he would do. I have a confidence in Jesus Christ today that I have to speak the truth no matter how people respond because there's an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. So my hope found in Jesus Christ is alive in the way that Paul, or that the book of Hebrews describes it, 
God did this so that two, by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie. Someone needs to know that today. It's impossible for God to lie. We who have fled take hold of the hope set before us, that hope that's found in Jesus Christ that is stored up for us in heaven, that we may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So there's an anchor for our soul. What's an anchor do? It stops a ship. Why? It gets caught in something firm. A lot of times people put out, what we'll see in a story I'm about to read, they put out an anchor because there was bad weather. I watched Deadliest Catch. Anybody else like to watch Crab Vision? Uh, I like to watch Deadliest Catch anyway. And so a lot of times what they'll do is they'll be coming to Dutch Harbor and there'll be a bad storm and they can't get through the harbor. So they'll, they'll put an anchor outside of Dutch Harbor away from the shore so their boat doesn't go up against the shore. It's something far, firm to keep them safe in the midst of a storm. That's what the anchor is supposed to do. That's what hope is supposed to do for us. It's supposed to be something which re- reaches deep is something, he said, we hold to unswervingly. There's something firm. There's something confident in this firm and secure in this hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul, let's get back to him. I was there and now we're coming back. So I said his hope was in this statement. Take heart. Take courage. As you've testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. Paul hears this. Now, I'm telling you what, I'm talking to God, and he had just been through this chaotic moment where he was arrested, accused, like the Jews like to do to people. Um, and he stood before this room of people that went crazy. And God's encouragement to him wasn't like, hey, you did a good job, proud of you. Like, keep on trucking. The hope that God brings to Paul. Isn't that this mess is going to end, but just like you've testified before me in Jerusalem, you get to do this again in, in Rome. What does that mean? If he's testifying, what does it mean? He's still in trouble. Like this moment of trouble isn't ending, but we're going to take it to Rome. Paul did that to himself. He appealed to, to speak before Caesar. I get it. Anyway, so then Paul, after this happens, they move him to the town of Caesarea. There he's put on trial by a governor. That governor decides that Paul probably is okay, but he doesn't want to rule on Paul's case because if he does, the Jews will be upset. So guess what he does? Right, nothing. He doesn't do anything. Just like you all said, way to go. Everybody gets a gold star now. So for two years, that governor does nothing. And Paul is under house arrest for two years until that guy dies. They get a new governor who hears his case and says, hey, guess what, Paul? I'd have set you free, but you made this appeal to Rome. So now you've got to go. If you hadn't called out for Caesar, we would be fine. I'd let you go, which I think he's just saying that because that's real easy. It's a way out. So Paul now, the curse spoken on him is you would have been free from this. But now you get to go to Rome and stay in trial for this. Okay? That's what Paul hears. I want to tell you that sometimes 
the enemy will try to use your hope against you. Because really that's Paul's hope right now, is that he gets to testify in Rome. But wait, I mean, that means he's still in jail. Well, the, this, this, this governor spoke to him. His hope was his condemnation. Like, I would have set you free. That's the things of this world. You want freedom. You don't want to be in jail. I would have given you that, but you declared that you've got to speak to Caesar. So guess what? You've got to go to Caesar. I'm telling you, that's Paul's hope. How do I know that? Because the rest of the story. They put Paul on some ships. Now, again, if you remember the map, this is a long way from Caesarea to, to Rome. There's a lot of water they got to go through. And so they put him, they take him to a port, they put him on a ship, and they put him on another ship. And I'm going to read this because this is like one of those chapters that it's so um, descriptive. I mean, I could see if I could speak like Morgan Freeman or someone like that, I would read it like that, but I can't. So this is my best narrator's voice. When a gentle south wind began to blow, I mean, it sounds like this is a boat ride, like, yes. They saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before a very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way into it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make life, the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard. They passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Like, this is a bad deal. This is a bad storm we're in the midst of. Literally, they're sending ropes underneath the ship to try to hold the ship together. Because they were afraid it would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor, there it is, that's where it's holding them, to let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm. The next day, they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, what does it mean when you're throwing the tackle overboard? You know what that is? We're not talking about fishing tackle like our tackle box, Jim. We're talking about everything we need to sail. They threw cargo, what they were hauling, that was their value. They threw what they needed to get to where they were going overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continually raged, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. I mean, picture this boat. And I've got this different picture of Paul in my mind. So just let me be Pastor Steve for a little bit. Uh, Brent is going to write a movie on Paul because we haven't seen a good movie yet. That's what we've established in, in men's Bible study. Paul. Like all these people on this boat are going crazy. I mean, it's a bad storm. And the wind's blowing, the boat's rocking, things are crazy. Like it's so bad, they're throwing ropes to tie this boat together. Uh, we'll, we'll use duct tape if we can. I mean, whatever we can to hold this thing together. They're so upset that they're throwing the cargo. This is what was valuable. This is what they were chartered to do. We're just getting it off this boat, so maybe it'll be a little bit more buoyant. I mean, the tackle's heavy. Let's get rid of it. They are now a people without any hope whatsoever. That's what it says. But Paul. But Paul. We gave up all hope of being saved. After they'd gone a long time without food, 
Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice. Now, this is Paul being fleshly. You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spelled yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. What? I mean, do you picture Paul right now? Like, all heck is broken loose all around him. People are throwing everything they can off the ship. They are said there are people without hope. And Paul said to them, what? How does he speak this way right now? Do you not see what's going on? It's been dark for days. The wind has been blowing. There is no end to this storm in sight. We are going to die here in this sea. Paul, this is one of the Paul's more relaxed moments. What you worried about? You should have listened to me before, but listen to me now. None of you are going to die. Paul, let's go upstairs and look outside. Nope. We've lost everything. But not one of you are going to die. Why? Because he has hope. Look at what the angel of the Lord reminded him. I love this. This is good stuff. Oh, you can't look at it if I don't put it up there. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. Why? Because you have hope. Remember when I talked to you when you were on trial before the Sanhedrin and you thought, why in the world are you telling me that right now? So I made a promise for your tomorrow, God said. The promise for your tomorrow was that you would stay in trial before Caesar. So guess what? This story can't end right here. This story can't stop right now. Paul's got to stay in trial before Caesar. God has spoken it. He, he is a God who does not lie. He spoke it to Paul. That hasn't happened. So guess what's not going to happen? Paul's not going to die. He's got a confident assurance and a certainty that God made to him. His hope that springs forth faith, because you talk about faith, you stand up in front of a bunch of people who are going crazy, and you say, hey guys, we're not going to die. Everything is cool. So keep courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Faith and love spring from hope that's stored up for you in heaven. Faith and love we see in Paul. What happens with this story? This is what happens. The boat gets destroyed. Some people can swim and some people can sink. So the ones who sink, like Mike, they gave you a board so you could get to shore. Okay? Everybody gets to shore. All of them. I mean, people want to kill Paul because, I mean, of course, that's what happens. They convince him not to kill Paul. The boat wrecks. I mean, again, we were without hope. Now the boat is gone. It's all we've got. But they swim to shore. They get to shore, and it's a good people. They're on the island of Malta. The islanders greet them, and they start taking care of them. They build this big bonfire, and Paul's gathering up some wood. Listen to what it says in the very next chapter. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. 
I mean, look at that. I mean, we're cold, we're raining. We get to the strange island, strange people, they build us a fire. Paul had hope. He gathered a pyre of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Paul, like seriously, like he just got through the storm. I mean, I can see it. God, seriously, one more? Like went through the storm, been in prison, been in jail. I'm going to get to Rome. What happens? I'm just getting some wood. I go to the fire to put my wood on it. A viper comes out and it literally bites and clings itself to his hand. It's not just like it nipped him. It stuck to his hand. The islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand. They had enough time to say, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. See, but Paul has a hope. I'm going to testify in Rome. So man sees death hanging from his hand. Man sees judgment hanging from his hand. And what does Paul do? Because he's got a confident assurance, a hope in Jesus Christ. He shakes his hand off. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time, can you imagine that one? Like I'm making some s'mores. Paul just there, he got graham crackers and s'mores. Everybody just staring. Paul coughs. Oh, there it is! Leaned a little bit. They're waiting for him to die. I want to tell you there's something unusual about biblical hope. There's something that doesn't make sense to the people that are on your ship with you. There's something that doesn't make sense to the islanders that are watching you. But it's a confident assurance that it doesn't matter what comes. It doesn't matter what happens in this world. It doesn't matter how bad the storm gets. It doesn't matter if this ship is only being, have you ever felt that way in life? Like I'm just holding this thing together by ropes, duct tape, and a little bit of bubble gum. It doesn't matter how long it's been dark and how many days you haven't seen the sun. It doesn't matter if the viper came out and clings to your hand when you finally got to the shore. All that matters was God made a promise to Paul. That promise was that he would testify in Rome. And that promise had not been fulfilled yet. So it didn't matter what was happening in the things below because his eyes were focused on the things above. And the things above said that without a doubt, he would testify in Rome. That when he was dealing with the chaos of the Sanhedrin, God spoke to him, you will speak in Rome. When he was on the ship or when he was in prison for two years but with nothing to do, you will speak in Rome. When he was on the ship and all chaos was breaking loose. You will speak in Rome. He even sent an angel to remind him of the hope. Remember what God said? Let me point your eyes on the things that are above. But often when the storms rage, we fix our eyes on that. And the snake bites. 
I stare at the wound and wonder when I'm going to die. When the wind blows, I stare at the shore and wonder when we're going to hit the rocks. There's something greater. There's something greater for the church today. There's something greater for you and I today. I did this. uh, We have faith, right? Cross, symbol of faith. Faith is how we find hope, correct? When I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was a new creation with him. The body of sin I just read in Sunday school in Romans 6, if you want to read it, was done away with. So suddenly I had hope that what? There was an inheritance stored up for me in heaven that one day I would be living out. So that hope became an anchor for my soul. Do you see how that worked? So there was a cross. That's Jesus Christ. That's where we find this hope that is an anchor for our soul. Pastor Steve was proud of himself with this, so let's just look at it one more time. This is the where. Everything Paul writes about in the church of uh, uh, to Colossae, he says is found in Jesus Christ. Where in Jesus Christ I find hope that's unswerving that then springs forth faith in my life. It's the confidence that I have to live today. There's hope that I've entered into that then allows me to stand in faith even when this world tells me otherwise. It's a faith that is a certainty that comes from my hope that's in Jesus Christ. The assurance that I have that one day I will stand before him, that he has prepared a place for me, that that sin and death will pass. There's greater hope. in which faith and love sprang from. There's hope that confident assurance. I almost want to say that irrational understanding irrational in the context of this world but completely rational in the context of the kingdom. That's really what kingdom perspective is. A confident assurance that's stored up for you. This isn't just pastor. It isn't just Paul. There is hope that is stored up for you. There's hope with your name on it. There is hope that is yours. Where? Above. If I told Levi, if I told you that I hid your switch in the basement, where would you look? Why? Think about that. This is a very profound illustration. If I've been told what I'm looking for is in the basement, I'm going to look for it 
in a basement. If we've been told that what we're looking for, hope, this confident assurance that is alive, found in Jesus Christ, that is absolutely an anchor for our soul, is found in heaven, why would we look anywhere else for it? You can come forward. I don't know what you're singing right now. You know, sometimes we just have to be reminded about our truths. Sometimes we just have to be reminded about our promises. Sometimes we just have to be redirected in what we're looking at. We have to to be refocused on what we've been thinking. This morning, I, 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 I'm compelled by the reality that we are a people of hope. We should have an expectation of hope when it comes to our living. Yes, I get it. I'm guessing Paul needed the angel because he got a little bit scared. Huh? I'm guessing. He needed a reminder. Maybe that's what today is for you as a reminder of the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. Maybe that's what today is. And I'll call myself a messenger, not an angel, because my wife's standing behind me and she'll laugh. But as a messenger of God to you today, There's inheritance. There's hope. There's an assurance that doesn't spoil, perish, or fade. There's an assurance that is yours in heaven. It's got your name on it. It's been set aside for you. It's been set aside for you in in His kingdom. So that faith and love spring forth. Father, I come to you this morning and in this room. I pray across this room. God, some in this room may feel like they're in prison. They may feel like chaos seems to follow them. I ask that you would speak to them today. God, some in this room may feel like they're on a ship and all chaos is going. There's no end in sight. Speak to them hope. Some may feel bitten, poisoned, condemned by those around them. Show them hope. God, for all of us this morning, I pray that we can look to the cross of Jesus Christ. That we can look to that cross of of Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father but through me. God, I pray that we can look at the cross. Is that which set us on a path of life? Is that which set us on a path of forgiveness? Is that which set us on a way into your kingdom?
on that which called us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That we might be called children of God. Because that's who we are. God, I pray that you would remind us of our hope. If there are those who don't know their hope today, God, I ask that you would speak to them your hope for them. Not in this world, but from you. So that we can live in faith and love. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim's going to lead us in a song and I'm going to open the altars because I get it. Sometimes faith and hope and love, they're hard to find when things are challenging. And so as a pastor, I want to be able to stand with you, to pray for you, to pray with you about whatever you might be facing. If you say, Pastor, I'm not even sure what hope is and I need help finding hope. I want an opportunity to talk to you and tell you about hope that is yours in Jesus Christ. Tell you about what's stored up in heaven for you if you just receive it. If you say, Pastor, I get it. I know my hope. I'm going to ask God to remind you of your hope that you can live in faith and love. Amen? You can sing. The altars are open. Inexpressible, glorious joy. Boy, we have hope. We have hope. We have hope. It doesn't matter what Fox News or CNN tells us. We have hope. It doesn't matter what this world tells us. We have hope. And that hope is absolute. It is. Because of the I am. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you, grant you his peace. And may... You cling unswervingly to greater hope. Amen? Be blessed.